Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Doomer Optimism podcast. Uh, today, we have uh, two uh, special guests, but one of our special guests is also going to be a host. Uh, Patrick uh, Patrick has been um, kind of around Doomer Optimism and in our group chats, and and I've really enjoyed uh, his you know insights, and I think you add a lot to a lot of these discussions. So I'm I'm really happy to have you as helping a co-host. Uh, and then we have Christina from Montgomery Countryside Alliance. Uh, but I'm gonna pass it off to you, Patrick, and have you kind of set the stage and and kind of uh, lead this discussion. So why don't you go for it? Hi, I'm Patrick Heiser. Uh, like Jason said, I've been kind of an affiliate of Doomer Optimism for a while. Uh, but what brings us today is uh, I'm a permaculture farmer in Maryland. And there's a very interesting uh, county in Maryland, very interesting uh, way they've set up their land use. Uh, and so we invited Christina Bostic of the Montgomery County Alliance to come in and talk about the Montgomery County Agricultural Preserve. Uh, but before we get talking about that, Christina, would you like to introduce yourself, you know, give us and, your background? Patrick, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit more too, just because the audience, I don't think, you're you're new to the audience so can you give maybe like a little bit you gave like a, a short elevator speech but can you give like maybe a, a long elevator speech <laughs> well you know by day i'm a biomedical r d scientist at astrazeneca and then i operate my permaculture farm on nights and weekends and then i'm a husband and a father 24 7 365 as they okay. say uh, great yeah I think I think that's it. You know, I'm a pretty simple guy. There's nothing beyond that. I'm interested in science, ecology, running my farm. I'm a simple guy. <laughs> uh, so, Christina, how did you get involved in agriculture and working with the Montgomery Countryside Alliance? Well, first, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, I am Christina Bosick. I work with the Small but Mighty. Montgomery Countryside Alliance. Um, we promote and protect um, the Montgomery County Agricultural Reserve. Um, I came to uh, farmland protection and, and in more overarchingly environmentalism in general. I am from Montgomery County originally. Um, I grew up climbing Sugarloaf Mountain um, on my birthday each year. Um, I and uh, the, I'm Quaker educated. And so the um, you know, background of community care and earth care is, is very important and informative for me. Um, I uh, grew up around Chesapeake Bay as well. And so in my background is a lot of um, environmental education, um, both on the Bay and on the Eastern shore. Um, I went south for school to North Carolina, Jason, because mm -hmm. it was cold. Um, and, um, ended up, uh, it, you know, doing a number of different things, being drawn into how can I help, um, and deciding for some reason that still eludes me that, um, I wanted to be a grant writer. That was how I was going to help. And I started a, a program, um, for just a grant writing certificate, ended up in that, um, realized that I could get my full master's in public affairs for just a few credits more and, and did that. Um, ended up back in the DC region 
um, and a family friend was working with this small organization. I met our executive director, Caroline Taylor. Um, we hit it off and that was about 13 years ago. Um, and since then, um, I have come to understand that in protecting farms, uh, you it is the nexus of so many different things that are so important um, for, for resilience, for the environment, for the community, um, that land use, however unsexy it may be, is, is a, a sort of a portal through which all of these different threads come together. And so it's a- I find land really use exciting. very sexy. I just want to state for the record. Land use is? I, I find land use very sexy. I just want to say- Well, then we're in the right place because when we get to the acronyms, you guys are going to be, <laughs> I, I tell people what I do and they glaze over. And I think this audience is the right place for <laughs> some of the, <laughs> the nerdier details. It just always feels to me like it's it's boring, it's boring, it's boring, and then it's incredibly contentious. And so, um, but I have found in, in working with MCA a-, a a place to really um, have an impact on 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 all of this, and and in returning to North Carolina a number of times, beautiful farms there, you know, and and a a local food scene that has really taken off. And I tell people what I do in Maryland, and they say, well, well, why not here? And the answer is this tool of the agricultural reserve makes it so much easier. And so I hope that's what we can can dig into. So I think a good place to start is a confession. Uh, I grew up on a small cattle farm in Western Maryland. So I was been here my whole life, involved in the agricultural community, uh, showed 4-H animals, been all over the state to show and stuff like that. I did not know about the existence of the Montgomery County Agricultural Preserve until 2021 when I started working in Montgomery County. Mm -hmm. So for people that were like me for most of my life, even though I grew up in Maryland, what is the Montgomery County Agricultural Preserve? So Patrick, you are unfortunately not alone because we have people even living, you know, a mile away that um, don't know. Um, and, and, you know, I was coming here uh, as a resident of Montgomery County my whole growing up. And I thought that you drive out 270 and it just all of a sudden gets rural by accident. And the truth is that there is nothing accidental about it. So for folks that live other places, um, okay, DC is a diamond, right? And then there's a county just above that. It's kind of shaped like a heart, like the anatomical one, like a heart. That's Montgomery County bordered on the western side by the mighty Potomac River. And this county is a, a busy county home to NIH, home to uh, Bethesda, Rockville, Gaithersburg, all the places. The Beltway runs through it. Um, busy, bustling place. But in 1980, they were losing farms at, at a family farms at a such a huge clip that the forward thinking planners there decided to do something about it. And they came up with a, um, a wedges and corridors plan that would guide growth in the upper county as uh, you know the DC suburbs sprawled outward. And um, included in that was sort of the, the top 
third of the county by landmass, almost in a crescent, if you can picture it, um, would be set aside for open space parkland agriculture. And that's that's all well and good, but the and this is where it gets into the, you know, most folks glaze over. I don't think your audience will, but the thing that made it revolutionary and the thing that made it work, let's talk about the typical lifespan of a farm. A farm was purchased sometime in the past, a long time ago. Your your grandpa's grandpa's grandpa bought it. And the family hangs on to it for a certain period of time until it is, they put their, their equity, their sweat, all the stuff into it. But eventually the plan is to sell or to, you know, easements, what have you. But the pressure to sell is incredible, incredible. Mm -hmm. What makes the Ag Reserve possible is the system of transfer development rights, TDRs. So basically they said, we're going to zone one house per 25 acres in the Ag Reserve. We are going to put in a system of TDRs, transfer development rights. There is going to be one per five acres. And a farmer now can sell the right to develop, but that development then goes into these zones that is by transit. So in down county, closer to where um, you know, the, the subway was, was happening and um, all, of, all of the growth was, was planned for that area. And so that made it uh, palatable and workable. Once those TDRs are sold, they are sold. And um, you know, there are farms that still have some intact, um, but that, that is what has made it work. And so the Ag Reserve is 93,000 acres as a total, 65,000 acres of that is in farms. Um, it is the stuff of every planning textbook anywhere. Um, and, uh, it, for the most part has protected farms, has protected farmland. Um, we have 558 farms currently as of the 2017 census. Um, and these are by nature, uh, small family farms and, 48% of them are female run. Um, and it, they're growing everything that you can possibly imagine. We have those commodity farms, your corn, your soy, your wheat, um, stuff like that. We have livestock, we have horses, we have orchards, we have orchards of you know six generations, um, vegetables, fruit. We are number one in uh, total acres in berries in the state. That's a lot of those UPIC operations. Um, it has it has been successful, and that's incredible in in the county that we're in. It's it's this incredible thing. And I just really want to like emphasize this point for people that might not know about Maryland. Montgomery County is the most populated county in Maryland, with well over a million people residing in it. Yep. And it's right to the northwest of DC. So it's uh, very accessible. There's a lot going on and it's growing rapidly. But as you said, one third of their entire acreage is in permanent agricultural preservation. And then as you said, it has lots of working farms 
producing a variety of things. Absolutely. But that kind of leads into, you know, the next question, you know, I'm sure you encounter skeptics all the time that, hey, there we need this land to grow, to build housing, we're rapidly developing, and there's lots of farmland in America, you know, the whole Midwest, the Great Plains, the California Central Valley, wouldn't it be better to make the food there and build homes here in Montgomery County where it's needed and there's a lot of housing pressure? So what other types of services does the preserve provide to people and residents other than just pure agricultural production? Well, let me speak to the skeptics first, because as you say, there are a lot of them um, that even in this area that is on the forefront of farmland production, um, you know, we have we have people in the county government that say, well, well, no real food grows there or they it is it is understood by them that it's just ground for eventual development. Um, that this is what it's in now, but this isn't always what it's going to be. And what's what's so incredible about the Ag Reserve is that it is it is the the policy that puts into place what we understand about farms is that it is a one-way direction. You cannot undevelop and get back to uh, you know viable farmland. I have all the respect in the world for urban farmers and that needs to continue and that absolutely has to happen. And, uh, but the farmland once developed is, is not the same. And um, so there are a lot of other things that the Ag Reserve promotes. Um, the wildlife habitat, as you can imagine, we say that the Ag Reserve is the lungs of the DC region um, with the forestation that we have. It is also a filter for the Potomac River. Um, it is, um, you know, we, the local food uh, is incredible. And I wanna make sure that I get in that so much of this is, is changing in that more and more and more farms are growing culturally appropriate food, more and more farmers coming up are from diverse backgrounds. And that's a really important thing to bring to the Ag Reserve because it's not just farmland for farmland's sake. We need to have viable farms. And, um, uh, you know, it's all sorts of things. There is pennies on the dollar spent for residents in the Ag Reserve compared to folks in, in urban areas. Um, it is outside of the water sewer envelope by design. And that is that is important to know. Um, it's a source of recreation close by. Uh, it is it is all of the things that a uh, you know protected preserve is, but it's also the agriculture too. Um, and it's resilience. That's that's really the most important thing. And we we actually, even though we're in this, we didn't realize it to the extent that it was until COVID. And COVID was a shock to the system, not maybe as big as some of the things that your your podcast is considering, but it is, it, you know, preparation, possibly. 
Um, we found in COVID that a few things were happening. Number one, people were coming out unannounced to farms, driving down driveways, not knowing what was down there and asking the residents there if they could buy a chicken or vegetables. And partially that was happening because in the beginning, you know, shelves were empty, but also there was a sense of safety. Uh, people wanted to know where their food came from more than they did before. Um, so, so that was happening. CSAs, um, community supported agriculture through the roof. Farmers could not keep up with, with the new CSA subscriptions. Um, the recreation piece, people were finding outside avenues to bring their family to come out and, and safely recreate outside. And, and that's, that was so important and just a source of, of so much, um, you know, solace for people. Uh, so when it was called upon it, we were certainly lucky to have, to have the farmland that we have in this, in this busy County for, to endure those shocks. And, and I just, as those continue, um, that's, that's going to continue to be a service that the Ag Reserve provides. I have so, so many questions. It obviously served. Go, go, oh, ahead. go ahead, Jason. No, go ahead. Uh, so you just spoke to, you know, how it buffered people during COVID and people really got to see up close and personal, you know, how it affected the com community. Um, before that, you know, this is decades old. Has there been any major like conflicts over the preserve uh, <laughs> other than the obvious development credits that you have spoken of? So there's there's always um, there's always something. And it's, um, it, you know, as I said, people are seeing the Ag Reserve as a future development opportunity. Um, it's it's difficult because the farmland is less expensive than areas, say in Bethesda, in Rockville, Down County, closer into DC, but it's still very, very expensive. And I wanna make sure as, as part of our conversation, we talk about getting farmers on land, overcoming some of those costs, but still for a development, this is, it's very appealing to come out here and use this land. And so fill in the blank what, what ill-advised, development tries to fly under the flag of agriculture out here um, and particularly at the margins of the ag reserve. Patrick, I know that you're one county north in Frederick County, um, which the the southern part of which has has stayed relatively rural uh, and and in farms as a result of the ag reserve sort of buffering that area. Um, so on the edge of the reserve, sometimes encroaching into the reserve, we have plans for fill in the blank. Um, mega churches attempting to um, have gigantic uh, buildings on water and sewer. Um, we have shooting ranges. We have um, fill in the blank. One very, very, very contentious issue has happened um, in the time since COVID, but that is large scale solar installation, um, commercial solar installation. And that has been um, just a really difficult, really contentious uh, issue. And what we have what we have done with it 
is um, I think really balanced the need for green energy generation and, and farms. Um, and we, what we've done here in the Ag Reserve has become a model for rural places that are having all of this interest in this, you know, wide open land to place solar. Um, we have had it not on those prime soils. We've kept it off of extreme slopes. We have protected forested areas. It needs to fit into farms. Um, and, and we have done that. And there's still quite a lot of places that, that it can go um, in rural Montgomery County. But that has been a contentious issue. Currently now, as we speak, there's a whole nother issue, which is data centers um, and battery storage. We have some um, aging industrial sites just on the very edge of the reserve um, put there before the reserve was in place because um, it's only been since the 80s. There's, there's things it had to work around. There was a, a power plant incinerator there that now will possibly uh, is proposed to be the site of data centers and battery storage, um, taking a lot of water from the Potomac River. We are in conversations with the folks that are, are planning this and we're, we're trying to have it happen responsibly, but there's, there is constant pressure, constant pressure on this resource. Um, and for all of the resilience uh, that I listed, it's, um, it's difficult. We, we really need to weigh everything carefully, figure out how to provide the balance. Um, Dr. Royce Hansen, who was the chair of the planning board, when the reserve, we call him the architect of the Ag Reserve, he was the chair then. Um, he has said the reserve should not be preserved in amber. You know, it should not be exactly like it was in, in the 80s, but we do have this legacy to uh, to hang on to, to uh, keep farms and viable farms on the landscape. You brought up earlier, and uh, this is a general topic I'm, inter I'm interested in, uh, is, is land access for farmers. Um, I mean, I think hopefully, I mean, at least in West North Carolina, there's a strong appreciation for local food, um, understanding of, of why it's important. Uh, it's not the case everywhere, of course. Um, but, you know, even among a lot of young farmers, so I'm part of a department uh, called Sustainable Development, and we have a, an agroecology track. And a lot of young students come through the program, and they want to basically become farmers, but they don't see a viable pathway uh, to, to get access to land. And, you know, in the past, I haven't actually you know, this is, I, I was also kind of ignorant of, you know, agricultural preserve. I think I had, like, it just hadn't been very salient to me as as a pathway. I was thinking, okay, we need like community land trusts and, and other, other mechanisms, but, you know, in order to make land accessible for, you know, would-be young farmers. Um, and this is, you know, this seems really, you know, like it's just opening up a whole new world, conceptual world for me. This this conversation right now, which is which is great. But do you want to talk about kind of you know what is the market within the preserve like for land? How do people buy and sell it? And you know what are the kind of cost considerations and kind of bottom lines of 
you know, profitability and, and things of that nature to, to be a viable farm, even though it's a protected preserve. So thank you, because um, land access for farmers is my favorite thing to talk about because it's yeah. so important. Um, you know, the the training piece, all of that um, is is important. But without land, yeah. how are you going to farm? Um, let me be clear about the underpinnings of the Ag Reserve. Everything is privately held. Um, it Everything is bought and sold. Uh, it is not, it does not have the underpinnings and protections of a community land trust or a cooperative in any way, shape or form. Mm. The zoning is the thing. Yeah. The yeah. zoning is the thing. And so um, the twin tracks of what Montgomery Countryside Alliance is, is doing are um, keeping the land protected for the practice of agriculture. Right. But the bigger job is making sure that viable farms are on that land. Yeah. And and that's that's where the rubber meets the road for, for our organization is, um, that's where we go from reactive to, to proactive. Um, so uh, very expensive county, as we said, um, it is very, very difficult for a new farmer to afford farmland here. We did a short film called Growing Legacy some time ago. Um, in that film, we had uh, one of the first CSA farmers, Woody Woodruff. He runs Red Wiggler Farm, um, this incredible place uh, located on some parkland in the county that connects um, folks with developmental disabilities to jobs on the farm and then they have a CSA. Um, so it's it's farm training for, for folks. Um, he said in our film, uh, you know, the starting farmer makes about the same amount as a starting teacher in our county. Well, a starting farmer can't afford a townhouse. How are they gonna afford farmland? This was 2013 when he said that and it sounds almost quaint now because how is a starting teacher gonna afford a townhouse? going to afford, you know, rent close to where their, their school is in our, in our county. It's, um, the housing issues have gotten really pretty intense as they have in, um, many municipalities all over our country. Um, so goes farming. Now, um, in 2011, we started a land link program and that was to overcome that high cost of farm purchase. So this is a program matching uh, new and expanding farmers with local landowners offering long-term leases. And our role is sort of the matchmaker. Mm -hmm. We are uh, bringing folks in, putting up anonymous listings. It's rather like a dating site. And um, we are sort of the, the clearinghouse for people that want to lease their land and the clearinghouse for people that want to get land to lease, long-term leases is, is the goal, um, particularly because so many people coming into the program want to um, grow sustainably and so much soil has to be built and so much time needs to be taken to build that soil and that's very important. Um, we have been running that as, as we said since 2011. Um, of late, almost every single applicant to that program is a person of color. I would say more than half of them are women. Um, and 
the universe of them, almost everybody wants to do sustainable growth. And to, to a one, every one of them wants to, in some way, give back, donate, provide to local food bank operations. And so the hunger to, uh, to get growing is very, very real. And what, what we've come to recently is that there's, there's food access equity, but access to land to grow food yeah. is an equity issue as well. And the Ag Reserve is, is a place that um, more equity can be brought for more people to get, to get growing. Mm -hmm. And um, more than that, we are really, really interested in starting um, incubator programs where not just in the Ag Reserve, but in places down county as well, close to where this demand is for these people that are working one and two other jobs and then also have enough energy to farm. Um, they, it's what they, it's what they want to do. And the matches that we've seen are incredible relationships, um, that, that feed the community, just, just amazing. Um, and we've matched about 500 acres so far that way. However, it's a starting point. Folks need to be able to afford farmland to buy, to have that be a continuing thing. And that's it's a much bigger job, but it, it's something that we're also committed to working toward. Do the, do the landowners who lease the lands, um, like I'm assuming they want to stay there because they like the quality of life. Um, they can't sell it to a developer. So, you know, they're not going to get this huge payout probably from selling it like they would in another area near DC or something. Um, and they don't want to farm themselves. Maybe they're getting older or something. Um, it, are they like, are, are, do a lot of them kind of, do they voluntarily kind of offer a lower rate because they believe in the mission or is the market clearing actually, you know, just in that context, is it, is it, pretty affordable for the leases? It is, it is all over the place. Mm. Um, you know, we have some wonderful landowners that just want to see it used, yeah. want to see it farmed. Um, and they, you know, charge a nominal amount per year, um, you know, a, a dollar a year just to see it, to see it used. Um, and then we have some that are closer to market rate. Mm -hmm. Um, a going rate, a uh, hundred dollars per acre per year is what you'd pay. Um, is what you'd charge commodity more or less. But it again, even in that, it's all over the place. Yeah. And then let's say you're leasing to a, a food a table crop producer. Mm -hmm. um, irrigation's a thing. You may have to switch up your your well, um, you know, and so there there's sometimes um, higher lease amounts for that. Um, we we handhold to the extent that we are asked to with uh, farmers and landowners. There's some great for folks looking into this. There are some great lease templates. I'm going to shout out the work of Land for Good, uh, a New England outfit 
that has some incredible, incredible resources for free on their website to help landowners do the soul searching to figure out whether this is the right thing for you to help farmers get everything tied up to um, figure out how you're going to do this, what this is going to look at. You're planning a business. And unfortunately, there, there aren't these clear paths to farming, as you said, the students in your program. And, you know, folks really need help figuring out, like, where's the MBA for the farming? There are some great training programs out there, but um, getting it all together, pulling it all together uh, is, is super difficult. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the short answer, the leases are all over the place. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, that's what I that, that's that's what I would guess. Okay, what, let me ask one more kind of related question, and then I'll hand it back to you, Patrick. Sorry for taking up so much of the space here. Um, in terms of the distribution, you mentioned CSAs. I, I imagine there's surrounding farmers markets uh, in West North Carolina. Food hubs have become a big thing uh, as well, where you kind of have a, basically, you know, as a consumer, you log on to kind of like the local food Amazon kind of thing. You fill out a cart uh from you know several different farmers products um and and then the farmer brings their produce you know whatever was ordered basically one day a week and the consumers pick it up one day a week so that's the, that's the food hub model that we have here um how does that you know what what has kind of emerged or sprung up in terms of distribution and 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 i guess in order to you know cut out you know make these things as efficient as possible to make a, you know, a whole thing affordable, both on consumer side, as well as the producer side, you know, like in terms of like promoting efficiency and like getting this local food where it needs to go in a timely manner and all of that, and all of that. So um, there are a few, uh, as far as I understand, like for-profit food hub uh, aggregator things in um, the greater DC region. Um, and then farms have um, really thriving CSAs. Um, one thing that is, is very, very popular, particularly in the district is um, the farmer's markets are very, very strong and very, very well attended. And, um, and because the, the wealth concentration um, in, in the DC region, um, the markets are uh, really, really a place to, to go. Um, but, but CSAs are also, um, you know, a great option because, you know, if, if you're a farmer, you really have to measure out the time you're gonna sit behind the table and does it make sense? Or, you know, building out your CSA infrastructure, is that the better option? Um, and, and each farm seems to be doing it differently. I, I would love to see more robust food hubs. Um, and what I've, I've been really gratified by is within some of these CSAs, they are pulling products from other, um, other farms. And then additionally, other um, value added producers. So like, uh, for instance, um, uh, common Root Farm, you can order bread from a baker that they know. You can order soups that use the vegetables from the farm. And so it's um, it's all in one package, but that's just one farm 
running all that. And yeah. I would love to see someone that isn't also having to tend their farm, right. um, pull some of that together and, and bring that into being. So the food hub idea, the incubator idea, the more community sharing, absolutely the better um, for all of this. Cause it's, um, we have a, a wonderful farmer, Eileen Friedman. She's up closer to you there, Patrick in Adamstown. She writes for um, really, really wonderful blog posts for Mother Earth News. Please go check her out. She's wonderful. And they are house in the woods farm. They grow every kind of tomato in every color you can imagine. It's, it's delightful. She said to us once, um, in our region, local food demand is, it's an ocean. And it's just, it's, it's unending. And then the way, just figure out how you can slip yourself into that um, is, is important. And I'd, I'd love to see folks make it easier and easier because we have heard that, um, you know, since the waning of the pandemic, CSAs are, are not as robustly uh, subscribed to yeah. as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's tough. I, I, subscribe to a year-round CSA, and uh, I actually don't know how to shop without it. So I'd, I'd love for other people to to do that, but, you know, you can't, you can't make that happen. But it really is, in my opinion, the best way to, to eat. Yeah. And I can give uh, some personal experience. Oh, go ahead. Uh, in regards to the farmers markets, like you were talking about, I have a friend that lives in DuPont Circle in DC, and DuPont Circle has a very famous farmers market. And I've been there with my friend, and right, many of the farms there are, we'll say, you know, Big Banner, Montgomery County. Yeah. Um, and uh, to give a specific example, uh, you know, Paul Paws, you know, achieved a mild level of Twitter discourse over the past couple weeks. Uh, the clearing price for a pawpaw in Frederick County, where I am, is about $12 a pound. But I've heard stories that, you know, at DuPont, they can be up to $20 a pound uh, because of, you know, how much wealth is down there. And with those elevated prices, you know, that makes it economically viable for farms to bring their crops down into the city. And so, you know, people are happy to pay a premium because of the locality and they have the money and so like it works both ways you know the dc residents can get fresh produce but the farmers can get prices that make it worthwhile for them to bring it into the city because it's it's a schlep it's a schlep and um you know uh yeah i every you know the balance sheet is absolutely different on every farm um, and, and some really find a CSA model works best. Um, we have a lot more farmers that are working with the farm to food bank program at Mana food center. That's, um, the big, um, sort of mid County food bank, uh, system that we have. And what's been so incredible is, um, Mana along with, um, a lot of other interests within the County, County government, um, have done a, uh, sort of an investment program where they are uh, doing capital expenses on farms. They're funding those to, let's say, get more refrigeration on a farm, uh, get more fencing on a farm. And then in in return, those farms 
are selling wholesale to Mana Foods to uh, really increase the amount of uh, locally produced fresh food that is going to those food clients, those food insecure folks. And um, Montgomery Countryside Alliance, us, we we just wrapped a, a much smaller but still effective uh, Good Fences grant where we connected some small scale farmers, mostly uh, BIPOC farmers with fencing funding to, again, you know, increase even above that, um, the area in farms. The deer pressure here, I don't know about you, Patrick, it's intense. <laughs> it's, I, I'm sure it's like that everywhere, but it just seems particularly, particularly bad. Um, and you really can't grow anything without proper fencing. And so we've, we've been able to increase that square area um, of some local farms here and hoping to do another round of that as well. Yeah, does anybody just, it's a kind of a side question, does anybody hunt deer uh, in the? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, a, your problem, it, it can also, I mean, because we have a lot of deer pressure here as well, and some some ways deer problem can also be a deer solution in terms of local food security for, for those who yeah. are willing to, to go nab them. Yep, there is, there is a program through our Office of Agriculture that are a big partner with us here. Um, for uh, you know, providing venison to food banks. Yeah. Um, so that's that's so definitely. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Um, I guess so, I, uh, I speaking of the Montgomery Countryside Alliance, you know, that's what right. is your role with respect to the preserve? You know, what are some big initiatives or causes that you've led over the years or have now? Uh, you know, just what is your perspective on that? So you are speaking to one half of the one and a half staff members of Montgomery Countryside Alliance. We like to say we are small but mighty. Um, we, uh, both our executive director, Caroline and myself have been doing this for about 13 years. And um, so uh, let me not forget to plug coming up um, we don't just defend Agriculture Reserve, we celebrate it as well. And this is the six, 16th annual Ride for the Ag Reserve, a uh, celebration of the Ag Reserve's rustic roads and farms. We have uh, cycling routes of six to 62 miles coming up September 24th. And uh, it's a great thing for families or avid cyclers, whoever. Everything ends at our uh, sumptuous picnic uh, and a pop-up farmer's market that is open to the public. But um, you can learn more at our website, mocoalliance.org and come out and cycle with us this fall. Um, that out of the way, Landlink is um, one of our legacy programs connecting farmers and landowners. Um, we also have a relief program, uh, re and then leaf like trees, uh, we are reforesting stream buffers in the agricultural reserve. That is something that we are taking on with um, the planning department, Department of uh, Environmental Protection, uh, Tree Montgomery. Uh, we have planted around 22 acres of trees. And similar to Landlink, we are finding landowners that are interested in hosting a perpetual forest easement. So these are forever forests we are planting. 
and along stream buffers to continue to uh, increase uh, water quality there. And, and that's been really exciting. We have um, ag educational efforts, um, taking kids out for water quality monitoring, taking them out on farms. Um, and that's, that's a really joyful part of this work. Um, we, we spend more time than we would like in a reactive stance um, against some of these sort of misguided proposed uh, things that uh, really do not belong on, have, have the most tenuous relationship to, to farming. Um, but it's, it's really important work because the balance is just so important, just so important to keep what's here, here. Um, and and make sure it's it's thriving. Um, and then our proactive work, which is a lot more, uh, you know, what we'd, what we'd like to be doing. Um, Landlink, as I said, we run a producer's listserv for folks to share know-how, equipment. Um, they lose a cow, we're on it. Um, uh, we protect the watershed. Um, we were so gratified to incubate and then spin off um, this organization called Friends of Ten Mile Creek in Little Seneca Reservoir. The last best creek in Montgomery County was at the center of this redevelopment effort in Clarks Clarksburg, um, sort of mid-county. And um, we successfully worked with the coalition to put in um, pervious caps that kept that stream within the bounds of, um, you know, a, a reference stream, uh, a, a pristine stream, because it is the back part of the backup water supply for 4.2 million people. Um, that work is now carried on by this small organization that we were able to spin off the Friends of Ten Mile Creek, and they're doing just an incredible job, and we continue to partner with them. Um, we celebrate Ag Reserve Champions with our uh, Royce Hansen Award uh, each year. Um, and and just lots of different lots of different things. We we uh, you know, in promoting and protecting the Ag Reserve, we're not just reaching out to residents here. We're reaching out to decision makers as well. We're taking county council members on tours. We uh, we provided a candidate's uh, questionnaire and voters resource, uh, you know, publishing the, uh, you know, exact word for word responses of candidates so that folks could, could you know, cut through all the noise and understand where folks stood on, uh, on water, on transportation, on uh, farmland protection. So we, we wear a lot of hats, um, we do a lot of things, but uh, you know we're we're small and mighty, and we've we've been here since two thousand one, and we're going to continue because the legacy of the reserve is long, and the legacy of our organization has to be too. I mean, it's just it's amazing all the things you're listing off, and and you know I'm grateful that you're providing the time for us, just because <laughs> I imagine you're insanely busy. Um, I, I wanted to follow up a little bit on the. You, you mentioned incubator program and kind of the the training element of like getting young, especially young people, and you know people who may, might not have a farming background, 
uh, kind of up to speed. Um, do, do they come through like various like academic programs or do they have like uh, internships or um, what kinds of like, and, and kind of getting them, you know, I, I imagine the first one or two years for a lot of the new farmers is a little dicey, right? And so like, what, how, how, how do you all think about, you know, setting people up for success? Uh, I imagine also, I mean, it's not just the price of land, but there's also the price of equipment and capital. And, and you mentioned that there's some like tool sharing program or tool sharing that maybe happens informally or a program, um, you know, and, and that's also, you know, from a sustainability standpoint, you know, if, you know, if not everybody needs a tractor and a few people can share a tractor, that's, that's maybe more ideal as I'm curious about kind of the, yeah, the, the getting the producers up to speed and also the equipment that they need and, and all of that. So folks arrive to us and we, you know, if, if we were bigger, mm. we would love to provide some of this training. Mm. Folks come into Landlink and we, we are upfront with people, uh, you know, you, you need to have a few seasons under your belt. Yeah. Uh, leasing farmland is something that you do once yeah. you have spent a few seasons uh, apprenticing, right. working with other people because you 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 do you do need to know what you're doing. I mean, just anyone starting out trying to grow anything knows. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you're you're gonna fail for years. You're gonna fail so much and and it's something we counsel our landowners in the program too like you know we we're, we're bringing people into the program that have a few seasons but just you know they they may still have trouble finding your feet i want to absolutely highlight the work of uh, future harvest and their beginning training program uh it is a three-year program it steps up in um intensity and responsibility it is free and uh, they are they are churning out really uh, prepared farmers, really holistically trained farmers. Mm -hmm. um, the Mar uh, University of Maryland Beginning Farmers Program, uh, mm -hmm. Eco City Farms over in PG County, uh, also doing some great stuff. And they have an incubator that we're trying to model ours after. Um, there there are places to go and get this training. Unfortunately, uh, you know, it's it's not. They have formalized what what a farmer needs, and they're working so closely with farmers to train people up. Um, but you know, the the idea that you could go get your uh, you know undergrad in uh, how to run a sustainable farm, I just I haven't seen that yeah. places yet. But these these folks are filling in, and what's what's so wonderful is that it it's, it has an understanding of where people are in their life. Mm. Um, you know, it's a free program, and it is built around your schedule until it's on farms. It's mm. online, and then you're you're going out and um, having these field days, learning from a farmer. That's it's so important. Um, but that's that's where people are are getting really good training. We also find that folks coming into the landing program um, often are uh, from other countries. And, and in these countries, um, agriculture is a lot more of a cornerstone of the culture than, than it is here. 
And so they are coming in with sometimes decades of um, just just deep lived knowledge of, of how to farm. And, um, and it's, it's so valuable. And uh, so those are, those are two ways that that folks are are coming to us that um that make for really really great matches but as you said all the training in the world and then the rain comes at the wrong time or it gets you know the frost is is early um it it is it is not not easy and uh does not always always go well and so patience on the part of the landowners is um is of paramount importance there. So one thing that I don't have a very strong sense of is who who governs the preserve. Like I, as you said, you know the voters voted it in several decades ago, mm-hmm. but there are it's big enough that there are a couple localities within the preserve. There's obviously independent organizations like your own. There's the current voters of Montgomery County. So who who like controls and decides and settles these disputes as they come up? So um, it it is a uh, a zoning uh, thing, and um, so it it is you know the purview of uh, the planning department. If there's an issue, it is a Department of Permitting Services that can come out and say you know mm, you know, uh, but. We, we do find that often we are going to the council uh, or going to the county executive, going to the planning department and saying, um, you said here this, and then now you're trying to do this. And, um, you know, the going back to the master plan has been uh, really important. And, and the Ag Reserve is a backstop, but it does not mean that things are proposed, that everything that's proposed is within the purview of it. Um, and there's, uh, you know, we have a, a, a system of, of zoning text amendments that that happen. And uh, as as time passes and things grow and change, it, it makes sense that you need to tweak zoning here and there, but that is an avenue for um, imbalance and and sometimes sometimes misguided thoughts about things. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, there was in the last council uh, a push to open by right all uh, rural residential zones to landscape contractors, uh, just 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 anywhere, um, and that was a big problem because that is, um, you know, it's not farming. That is, uh, you know, think of a company that would, you know, cut the grass um, or, uh, you know, manage landscape at a, at a corporation or a residential uh, place. Um, And they would rather, you know, pay to have property not there in the, uh, you know, down county, but out in the rural area. Uh, but when you open it up, uh, 
that is taking acreage that could be one of these landlink producers, for instance, that's looking for two acres to grow indigenous African vegetables and uh, send them to the food bank. Uh, and the ag reserve is where that should happen, right? Agriculture. So the, there are proposals all the time for things that do not fit within the ag reserve. And it is up to supporters of the agricultural reserve to, to say, stop, wait, let's think about this. Let's, let's bring balance here. Let's be sure uh, that, that we're, we're forward thinking. And, um, you know, we can't, we can't know the future, but the idea is protected farmland. Um, and that's, that's how we're proceeding. And, and that gets gray and murky at times. Um, agritourism, you know, it is, is a, a wide, uh, is a wide lane and, and it's sometimes, unclear what fits what doesn't that's that's a, a place of where you need to bring sort of balance and conversation and collaboration but the answer is uh it is the county but we're all stewards of it and so when decisions are are coming through that would tip that balance away from agriculture it's on it's on all of us and and we are the catalyst for making sure that balance is kept are the is the county government generally do they maybe that you don't even want to answer this question are they generally kind of favorable like do you find that the that the that they're you know they're generative to work with is it is it is it how is that relationship in general when you're you know advocating for things within the county government in terms of the preserve you know, it's um, it's it's good in terms of, you know, the the ag reserve is something for the county and everyone in the county, including our decision makers, to be very very proud of. I'm sure Other it's a big part of the identity of the county as well. It's, it's part of the identity of the county. Granted, it it could be well known as as Patrick not knowing about it, um, and don't feel bad, you know, people living a mile away not knowing about it either. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's there's different opinions on it. For something that has been here for so long, there are, um, you know, look at an open field and where you stand uh, decides your opinion about it. But there are base things that we can all agree upon. Uh, you know, we here in Montgomery County, we have, um, you know, we are leaders on our climate protection. We are uh, leaders on building equity into everything that we do. And the reserve, it provides opportunities to, to do those things. Um, and so our, our collaboration across different organizations um, and with many allies and many different people on the council and in government, I think really show that the ag reserve is for everybody. And regardless of, of where you come to it ideologically, uh, there, is, there is something here that 
there's a reason to protect. And, and we, we proceed apace from there. We, we are all on the same page of this exists and there's reasons that it exists and, and benefits that everyone can get behind. And then just to provide some more like Maryland context, uh, you know, the Chesapeake Bay is a huge aspect of life in Maryland. It's uh, politically rife. You know, there's all types of things about the bay. You know, many of our license plates say save the bay on them. Uh, and there's been this huge decades long effort to clean up the bay and Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia have all made commitments to cleaning up the bay. And to my knowledge, some of the rivers that come out of the Montgomery County Ag, Ag Preserve, they score some of the highest uh, in terms of cleanliness. And so even residents in other places outside of Montgomery County are getting, you know, quote unquote, benefit as the Montgomery County helps clean the bay and helps the state meet it, its commitments. Absolutely. And and farmers of of all types and all ideologies have really gotten on board with um, the the things that will prevent erosion and will will protect the bay. And that's really important. Um, you know, the we were just honored by our own county council um, during Chesapeake Bay Protection Week. Um, our landlink program was honored, but also the small scale farms that have happened as a result were honored because um, those, you know, those are, uh, you know, bay protectors. Uh, the, the more sort of more regenerative uh, we can get on the landscape, uh, the better. Um, and uh, there's there's an ethos among among all farmers to uh, you know they think in long time scales and protecting the bay is a long time scale. Uh, the ag reserve is similarly a long time scale, and I think the ag reserve and the bay have something in common, which is here's this treasure. If we can keep it, uh, you know we we've been given this thing. Uh, it's been here a long time. Uh, it's its continuation as uh, is is worth it, but difficult, but worth it. So I have one more question is, you know, this is such a unique uh, use of land within the United States. And I think it's an innovative model. Uh, do you know of any localities that have replicated this? So again, just to give more context within Maryland, uh, I live in Frederick County, right to the north of Montgomery County. And I know, I couldn't tell you the exact history, but there has been years of debate and negotiations about trying to put in a Frederick County agricultural preserve. And it is mostly in limbo, kind of ongoing, but right, if the county directly to the north that is in many ways even more agricultural than Montgomery County. You know, perhaps that just kind of speaks to the challenges of putting something like this in. It it's incredibly challenging, um, and 
possibly possibly has gotten more so. Um, I, I I mean I think so. It it was it was contentious when it happened. You know I was I was not around then, but um, it it was contentious when it happened, and I think unfortunately uh, we as a society, we're so much more divided now, is my sense. And um, so much more focused on what we would lose and not what the community would gain uh, in in zoning. Um, and not as not as interested in, in the community good. But in the case of Frederick County, um, I want to I want to highlight the work of Sugarloaf Alliance is doing some incredible things to move that Sugarloaf tre um, treasured landscape management plan forward at the planning department, and they are um, putting in Freedom of Information Act requests and uncovering um, you know the data centers that were planned for farmland there in southern Frederick County. Um, Frederick, you know, it. I I am not aware of of places that have have taken exactly this, you know, system of of uh, transfer development rights and and run with it. Um, I think I think you need, in some ways, for a lot of our cities, it's too late, and a lot of our areas, it it is too late to uh, carve something like this out close in um and that's that's one reason that it's so important that our ag reserve continues but i i do think that there are still places in the country in the world that uh can can take this and and run with it but it you have to you have to decide because the as we said the farmland pathway is away from viable farms. Um, in this country, uh, three acres per minute is what we lose. And, um, you know, that if we continue as business as usual, that it will only get worse. And, um, you know, it takes it takes real courage and willing willingness to sort of shake things up. Um, and and it's my hope that there are still places where that can happen. But I think as close in as this is to a to a metro a very, very busy metropolitan area, uh, I mean, Patrick, you for for folks that are not from that area, you were trying to paint the picture. If you were a crow, it would take you 20 minutes to fly from the ag reserve to the White House. So we're very close. Um I mean, can you can you picture something like that being on any metropolitan area now? Um, I, I think it's difficult. Yeah, I'd love to, Jason. Do you have any final questions? Yeah, well, just uh, we don't have to go too much. You know, we don't have to expand out too much, but kind of the broader. And I'm interested in both of your points of view here. Kind of the the broader food system, let's just say in the United States, but also globally, 
um, kind of what we see are the structural factors. Like right now, you know, the statistic, I'm not sure if it's absolutely correct, but they say like 1% of the population is involved with agriculture, like production or processing. I think, I think that is, it's very, very low, right. By historical standards. Uh, I personally think that, you know, structural conditions will change, uh, for a variety of reasons. We're going to need many, many more farmers. Um, the more farmland that we lose, we're, we're setting ourselves up for a very difficult time in the future. Um, I guess one, maybe just a broad kind of, you know, in kind of a bigger picker, bigger picture macro historical sense, you know, what gives you, you know, a sense of doom and what gives you a sense of optimism about, you know, food security, the food system, you know, ecological health. Um, and uh, well, let's start with that. And uh, Patrick, if you want to answer that as well, uh, that would be interesting. But um, in particular, Christina, I'm curious how you think about these issues. Um, I think your 1% is accurate, but I think what's hopeful is that I don't think it captures the number of people that want to farm. Right. At all. And and um, when when we say farm, it it can be very small scale, at least to start with. But um, I don't know about other places, but our community gardens in Montgomery County have wait lists of years. Mm. And um, it's one reason that we want these these incubator programs, um, because you know, people are even coming out of the uh, community garden system and they want that next thing. They're ready. Um, and it, the pathway is not, is not clear for them. The number of people that want to farm is a lot, lot more than the number of people that, that are farming. And I find, yeah. I find that hopeful, but, uh, you know, the reasons that they aren't farming are the reasons that, um are a lot of equity issues yeah. um that 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 keep a lot of um plans from from happening of of all different sorts of further education of um ownership of things um so so i'm gratified that there is and i think i think it has taken off since the pandemic too i think that was a turning point for people um but the number of people that they've they've built out whatever green space they have, wherever it is they are, um, like likely in cities, suburbs, and they want more, is a very very large number of people, and connecting those people with um, not just the land, the land is huge. That's that's a big job in itself, but also the the real wraparound supports to do this thing that is very, very hard. I mean, I, I mostly belong to a CSA because I have tried and failed <laughs> to grow a lot of the things and, and spend the amount of time that I would need to spend to, um, to feed myself from my, you know, mostly shady yard. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So maybe, so maybe the one of the hopes there is that so many people are wanting to farm that Eventually, there will be the political will uh, to 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 overcome some of these barriers. Absolutely, that's that's the hopeful thing, um, and I just I just hope that the opportunities open 
yeah. for those people to have both the space and the support to do so. Yeah. And and that's that's what we're going for in Montgomery County. I, and we have, you know, we have we have the space and that's that's a wonderful thing. And Patrick asking you the same question with the context that you work a full-time job and you're developing a farmstead um, kind of on the side, which is a very big undertaking. And you're, you know, you're inspired by permacultural methods, which also requires a lot of research and trial and error. Uh, why are you doing that, first of all? And and how does that, you know, how does what you're doing fit into your larger kind of how you see the food system evolving? Well, like I mentioned previously, I grew up on a small beef cattle farm that uh, also did a few Christmas trees, so kind of like an agroforestry thing. Uh, but most of my exposure to agriculture came through my father, who's a full-time bovine veterinarian. And mm -hmm. so on odd days in the summer or snow days or you know, couldn't find a babysitter, my brother and I would ride with him. And right, so he travels to all these different farms over the quad state area, West Virginia, PA, Maryland, and Virginia. And so from a young age, I got to experience kind of like the dichotomy of American agriculture. Uh, every single farm we visited, there'd be a family that wanted to do right by the land that loved and cared for their animals. Like it was their livelihood. Like that, that I never saw any abuse or anything like that. You know, their herd was everything to them. But on the other hand, I kind of saw the, the manure pits and the chemically induced monocultures that they fed their cattle with. And, you know, it kind of just, you know, through the course of many years, you know, there was no sudden illumination, but I just kind of saw the, the dichotomy. And, you know, I think I'm a believer deep down of the quote unquote human spirit. And that's kind of like a woo woo term, but our capacity for innovation and hard work and our deep sense of morality. And I think that people want to do the right thing and live in a sustainable way. And, you know, anyone that I've you know, sat down with, or they've come to visit our farm and like, you know, you explain, you know, these externalities that the current system has and is producing and the trouble that lies ahead if we keep on the same path. It all makes sense. It's just that the, you know, through years of technology and society developing to ab abstract away agriculture and all these different effects, you know, it's not that they are against it. They've just been shielded from it. And if it's explained simply, I I see it in my own life. More and more people are coming to the recognition that the way things are currently done can be improved on and innovated on. And we can make a better society. Uh, and so I guess my farm is just my one little way that I can contribute uh, both to my family, because, you know, I think growing up on a farm was the best thing that ever happened to me, uh, but also to like my wider community. You know, when I come in and bring vegetables to my coworkers, you know, it makes their day, or at least I like to think so. Uh, and right, yeah, you know, our farm is right next to a park. And so, you know, I hope that all the people in my town and county, you know, when they come use the park, they can see a 
hopefully innovative, productive, successful farm. Um, and again, like I said, I just think through more and more exposure, there's this growing sense and recognition that we, both individually and as a society, we can make a better world. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, before we wrap up, and, and unless you have any other questions, Patrick, I, I want to ask you, Christina, last, like, if, if, if are, are there any questions that you wish we had asked or you wish somebody would ask or any just last things that you want to you want to bring to the table before we wrap up? Um, well, I, I do want to highlight, um, you know, that it's a continuing idea, as you said before, you know, why do we need to protect farmland in Maryland um, in this busy area? Because, uh, you know, isn't farmland better in the Midwest, in, in other places? And um, there's, there's a ProPublica interactive map we like to show recently, um, which is, you know, the places that grow our out of season food are going to be less and less able to do so. And the places that are going to start being more productive are, uh, you know, sort of Montgomery County and up uh, further north. And I, I don't share that as often as I share that to be um, the doomer. <laughs> the optimism there is that uh, we can take advantage of that if the farms are there. Uh, just because we're turning green in that map when other places are turning purple uh, does not mean that tomatoes will start growing up through the sidewalk. Um, we need to have both farms and farmers uh, there on the ground in order to take advantage of that. And that's really important. And I would just say also to any landowners who are listening, uh, if you're not in, in our area, you know, Landlink Montgomery is not for you, but um, there are so many opportunities to connect with amazing local farmers and lease even a small part of your land to someone just getting their start. And uh, it's it's just, you know, it, it's a step beyond knowing your farmer. Uh, it's it's really a, a wonderful relationship to start and to and to keep and continue. So I would encourage everyone land for good is a great site to go look at some of that or um, mocolandlink.org if you are in our area um, it's it's a thing that you you don't have to you know sweat <laughs> do your do your permaculture as Patrick is um, but you can still be be part of the solution um, on on your land uh, some folks are looking for an acre to get started uh, and and that's that's an important way you can help. Nice. And we'll make sure that all of the links and stuff are in the show notes. Um, well, great. This was, uh, this has been a very eye-opening conversation for me. I, you know, I, I was completely ignorant of, about uh, this preserve until Patrick brought it up and it's opened up in a lot, a lot of new pathways in my mind. So I, I appreciate, thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, I guess we can wrap. Patrick, is any, any last words? No, just thank you, Christina. And, uh, you know, if you're in the local DMV area, you know, support local farms uh, on the preserve. Uh, that's very important. Like, uh, I think everyone's probably convinced at this point. Uh, but yeah, you know, just support uh, 
your local agriculture wherever you are. Great time of year to do so. Peaches, yeah. go get them. <laughs> peaches. Oh man, I wish we had peaches over here. <laughs> they don't grow well over here, but maybe we'll figure it out. All right, take take care, both of you. Thank thank you so much. Um, and this should be coming out probably in a week or so. So excellent. Cool. Thank you both so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Thank you, Christina. It was great meeting you. Maybe we great will cross you. paths soon. Absolutely. Thank you. I want to see how what you're doing there. Uh, that's great. Thank <laughs> you.